in a series for five weeks. This is actually the last of the weeks. Um, and it's gonna sound like what we've been talking about is really boring, but I don't think it has been. Uh, people kept coming back, so I, I'm hoping not. But we've been talking about the values of our church. And again, I know that sounds boring. I'm not just looking at like church values. We're talking about how, how it affects us. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about family and how God's plan for our spiritual life comes to our family. Then we talked about excellence. Um, doing everything we can to the glory of God. We talked about being multi-generational and the power of having people who are older than you to speak into your life. And we said that it's easier to walk a path than it is to make a path. And then talk about outward focus, being here for, for the community and not just being all about ourselves. And tonight we, we take up our last one. And I think it's the, in my opinion, the most powerful uh, of the values. And it's the value of transformation that, that we believe and God's word teaches, and we'll look at it tonight, that, that God has something better for us. And so I wanna show you this picture. This is, this is a guy, can you dim the stage light so we can see a little better? Um, this guy, he's from Lithuania, and this happened last year. He's driving, this is actually a Mercedes, okay? Now, if your parents went and said to you, hey, I'm gonna get you a Mercedes, can you turn 16? You'd be like, yes. But if you got this, you'd probably be like, no, it's in bad shape. That's the back of it. That's the front of it. Now, <laughs> I know, right? Now, it gets even better. One more slide. That, yeah, that's the right side of it. It's got like an extra wheel. If you go back a slide, there's not three wheels on. Yeah, there's, there's two wheels on this side. So it's a five-wheeler is what it is. It's a five-wheel Mercedes. So here's the guy that owns it. And I don't know if you can understand what he's feeling like, but he's embarrassed because he's driving this thing around you know, town. He's like meeting girls. And he's like, I've got a Mercedes. And they're like, Oh my goodness. So here's what this guy does. He goes and gets some, don't, don't go too fast. I'll tell you when to do them. He gets some expandable, well, you can go now. He gets, <laughs> he gets some expandable foam and he starts putting it around his car to like fill in the gaps and, and he starts putting it in and he starts like shaving it down, putting it into, um, make it a little bit better. Hit the next slide. So you see, it's, and he's, he's working on it. You see, it's a little bit better. He even does the inside, show the inside. He's working on the inside. Okay, so he, trying to make his car look better. Now you tell me if he did a good job or not. Hit the next one. Right? Now, now when he tells us the girl he's got a Mercedes, she's like, wow. Hit it again. Hit another slide. That's the back of it. You notice it now has four wheels instead of five. Now look at the inside. Yeah, on the right. Now that's all expandable foam. So what we know is when he gets in a car wreck, he's going to die um, because, just, you know, it's like styrofoam car, but it looks good. And we love, I mean, we look at that and you guys did the same things when parents were here on Sunday. Everybody's like, whoa, you know, it's, it's kind of like pfft, mind blown that something like that could happen. And we love, we love a good transformation story from you know, ugly to great, from rags to riches, girls, maybe some guys, I don't know, but girls, when you were little, you love stories like Cinderella, the stepsister that, that nobody liked, that didn't get to go to the ball, and then she does, and she's literally rags to marrying the prince riches. Guys or girls, I'm not trying to be gender stereotype, but March Madness rolls around and basketball starts and, and we get excited about this <coughs> no-name college like a few years back, back-to-back -back national championships, the University of Butler, Raise your hand, man, I don't want you to lie, just honestly. If you even know what state Butler is in, raise your hand. Right, like, like yeah, like four of us. 
You know, we're like, I, I, I didn't even know that was a college. And they're like, Butler's just cruising through. And, and all of a sudden it's like, Butler, this little school against, you know, North Carolina or Kentucky or somebody great. I remember they played then. And you're like, I want the little guy to win. And I think part of that is that rags the riches, little guy wins. Is I think on, on some level, we, we, we look at it and go, man, if they can make it, maybe I can too. If they can go from where they are to, to their life being changed, well, then I can too. We love a transformation story. I love, I love hearing, some of this has happened in, in your families. I love hearing a family whose mom and dad were con- contemplating divorce. They were contemplating like walking away, calling it quits. And they decided like to, to give God a chance. And they got involved in <coughs> a ministry or church or something like that. And all of a sudden Jesus started to change their marriage. And then when their marriage began to get solidified, it started to change their family. And all of a sudden the, the generations, the grandchildren are gonna be changed because of a decision. I love stories like that. I love watching some of you guys who've done, you go on a mission trip someplace and God just radically transforms you. You know, <coughs> you, you remember some of y'all know Kathleen who was here. You know, she's in Thailand now, month two of 11 months, traveling the world to love people because she went on a mission trip at one point when she was your age and God just got a hold of her and said, I want you to go love the nations. Radical transformation. People who go from being so self-consumed to being people who are generous. We love that. And you think of transformation. I think of, I think of a butterfly. That's actually why this logo got put up there. <coughs> think of like, you know, that's a radical transformation, right? Like caterpillar. A caterpillar is like the, one of the ugliest things God ever made, right? I mean, like it's a bug with hair. Yep. I mean, that's, that's nasty. Um, I don't know why bugs have it. And then like, if you watch it like move, it's like me on the dance floor. It's like bad. Like you're like, that's weird. And then this, this ugly caterpillar cocoons itself and it turns into one of the most beautiful things, this radical transformation, a butterfly. And so we love big stories, but here's the truth. Lots of times transformation happens and it's not big. It's not wild and crazy. It's small. Sometimes transformation happens in a way that you don't even notice. When I was, when I was a kid, my grandparents lived on the chocolate bayou. It was called the Chocolate Bayou. The bayou ran through their backyard. And it was called that because it looked like chocolate milk. It's just mud. It's all you know, mud and water. And everybody that lives on the Chocolate Bayou, their house is on stilts. Now, they have a bottom floor, but the bottom floor is usually about half the size of, of all the floors on the second floor. Because about every decade or so, the, the bayou would flood, and it would bring all that mud and water. And it, it, if you lived on the bayou, it would, it would take out the first floor of your house. It'd flood six feet, seven feet, something like that. And so all of those houses had like linoleum floors, things like that, where you could just like power wash mud on out. And everybody really kind of lived on the, all your expensive stuff is on the top floor. Well, one day at summer, we're there with my grandparents and their neighbors had the same kind of house. And their neighbors were like there, like just during the winter. They weren't there. They lived there all the time. And my grandparents kind of watched over their house. And my grandmother needed something out of their kitchen. And she said, hey, go over to Curtis's house. And um, I need you to bring back, I don't even remember what it was, frying pan or something like that. And she says, if you go over, on the third pole, because these houses are on stilts, on the third pole, push up on the, the roof, it's kind of sagging, and there's a key on top of the pole, and that's the key to the house. So I'm like, okay, so it's, it's, it's almost dark. It's like the sun's going down at desk, and I go over, I'm like, pole one, pole two, pole three. When I lift up on that thing, this snake skin, shed, shed snake skin, like drops down, like, I mean, like, like 
right in my face. I scream like a four-year-old girl, you know, like I run backwards and I'm like, my heart's pounding. Cause I'm like, I mean, first it was just scary because of a sudden, and I know there's water moccasins all over the place. And so and I know, you know, where there's snake skin, there's pretty good chance there's a snake, you know? And I'm like, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, the key's still there, you know? And I'm like, ah, and I get an into the story. It's a little anticlimactic. I didn't get bit or wrestle a snake or anything like that. I got it and got the stuff. But you think about that snake skin, man, it comes down and hangs right in front of me. Yeah, you've seen it before. It's gross. A snake, when it sheds its skin, goes through a radical transformation. It goes through a major change. But if I had a pet snake and you came tonight and, and, and I showed it to you, and you didn't come the next couple of weeks and the snake shed its skin and you came back three or four weeks later and the snake shed its skin, and said, the snake looks exactly the same. You can't even really, you don't go, oh, look, oh yeah, your snake must have shed, he looks older. You know, I mean, you don't, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes transformation happens on a level that you may not notice right away. People around you may not notice, but transformation is still happening. And the truth is this, let's just be honest. You're transforming every day, whether you want to or not. You're transforming on a biological level. I mean, you're, you have skin cells that have died and, and new ones since yesterday. It's a small transformation. You're, you've intellectually transformed. You're smarter today than you were yesterday. You had some experiences along the way. You heard at least one thing in school that you hadn't heard before. You've been transformed. You're, you're intellectually, not big, <coughs> but you have. Well, you're also being spiritually transformed. On a spiritual level, change is happening. So it's not if it's happening, but it's more, the better question is what direction is it happening? Is your life transforming spiritually to more like what God wants from it? Or is it going the opposite direction? But you're transforming that. I, I want you to know this. And, and, and a lot of you know this like up here, but God loves you. I mean, God, God is passionately in love with you. And there, I know there's somebody sitting there this night and like, well, no, you don't know what's in my life. With, with all of your nastiness, all of your addiction, all of your attitude, all of your history and all of your baggage, everything that you've got. If we took every bad thing you've ever done and we came and we laid it and we told everybody here, every bad thing you've done. I mean, you'd walk out of here with no friends, but God would love you passionately. He does. Scripture is clear on that. We're not going to look at those verses tonight. We could if you need to. We can sit down and grab coffee and, and, and I can show you that. God loves you passionately just the way you are. But hear me when I say this. God also loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He loves you infinitely the way you are, but infinitely more. He wants to change you because he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. And that, let me give you a couple of examples. <laughs> um, I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. And as I was actually writing this message, I was thinking about how do you illustrate this? And I thought, you know, well, parenting is, is a way. And I'll tell you another story because I know y'all don't have kids, but I'm sitting there and as I'm thinking, you know, I thought, you know, well, discipline's kind of one of those ways. And I'm like, what's a good story? And as I, this is true, as I'm thinking and writing, my four-year-old starts screaming from the other room. And she's not screaming like it's the hurt. I know what the screaming is. It's the screaming that happens when the eight-year-old is like bullying or like being mean. So I get up. And I'm like, thank you, God, for an illustration. I don't know, you know. And I go in, Emerson, the four-year-old's sitting on the toilet in her bathroom. And so I walk up and I'm like, what, what is going on? Because she's screaming. And I look at, and, and Rayleigh, my eight-year-old, standing like with her knees together outside of the bathroom. And I look at her and I go, 
do you have to go to the bathroom? And she's like, yeah. It's like, then go to the other one. It's like rocket science in my home. I'm like, we have more than one bathroom. She heads off. And so I look at Emerson and I said, what, what are you screaming for? Of course, she's sitting on the toilet and she goes, well, sissy, that's what she calls Ray. She says, sissy said she had to go to the bathroom and told me to scoot over so that we could share. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I understand. I said, but I said, listen, and I'm telling her, I have this conversation eye to eye. She's on the toilet. And I'm like, you know, we're coaching up. I said, listen, we've talked and we've talked about this. You're not allowed to scream like that. And then when Rayleigh comes out, I have a conversation with her because she knows we have another bathroom and she knows you can't share the toilet. And so I told her, I said, listen, stop antagonizing your sister. Now, <coughs> one's screaming, one's antagonizing. I'm honest, I'm honest when I tell you, I love those two girls. And, and when one's screaming and one's antagonizing, I don't love them any less. I promise you that. But I also love them too much to allow Emerson when she's 25 years old and maybe she's married and her husband says something like, you know, I don't want to go to Freebirds. I don't want to go, catch my car! You know, sorry, microphone, that was too loud. You know, I don't want to screaming at him because she's not going to get married if she, you know, that, that's why. And I don't want the other one being an antagonist because she'll never get married. She'll be in my house forever. I mean, so I love them, but I love them too much to stay the way that they are. Give me maybe an example, a little more close to home. I asked Hannah if I could tell the story and she said I could. She gave me permission. So I'm not throwing her under the bus. Hannah's going to uh, Oceanside this spring break on a mission trip. And to go on the mission trip, one of the things that the team has to do is they have to be here 70% of the time on Wednesday nights during this course of time that we're, we're training. And, and they go in and they have to sign in at the desk and, that, that's, and we, that's how we keep attendance. Well, I leave one Wednesday night and I get a text from Hannah and she goes, hey, I just wanted you to know uh, I forgot to sign in tonight. And I think she was expecting like, oh, okay. And so I just texted her back. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I said something like, you know, that sucks to be you. You know, I'm just, it's called, take responsibility. You know, you gotta teach your responsibility. So then I find out later from like multiple people that she's mad at me. Like, like she's like, like angry, she's like fuming. Uh, I eat lunch with her mom and dad and they're like, oh man, yeah, she was so mad. So I asked her to tell the story, but here, here's the deal. And she knows this. I don't want Hannah to go to college in a few years. And the professors say the final is at th on Thursday at nine o'clock. And she show up at 9.10 and the door's closed and it's locked. And she emails the professor and says, hey, I, I was there, but it was locked. And the professor says, sucks to be you. Nine o'clock's when the final was and she gets a zero. Now see, here's the deal. Was it a big deal that she missed? No, because she's got plenty of time she, can, she could miss. But I love her too much, especially as a developing leader. She's on leadership track. I love her too much not to say, hey, here's a teaching opportunity that you need to grow from. It wasn't because I don't like her that I, that I would say, hey, responsibility. It's because I do love her. God loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And so God's plan for you is to transform your life into something. And I know you don't know what it is right now, but it's something way better than you can imagine. Because when God created and God had you and my God went, man, I'm gonna gift them and give them talents and I want them to experience life. And this is what Jesus said. I want you to experience life to the full. I want your life overflowing. So I want us to look in 2 Corinthians chapter three. Um, if you have a phone, you can get to it on you version. If you have this worship guide, you can just type this link in. It'll go straight to the verses. You don't even have to try to find 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible and you don't know where it is, 
Go to the table of contents. I'll give you a hint. Second Corinthians is right after first Corinthians. Um, and it's on page 964 if you have the exact same Bible I do. Second Corinthians chapter three. Now this passage of scripture is kind of hard to understand. So I'm gonna read it, but then we're gonna, we're gonna spend some time kind of breaking it down. And we're not reading the whole chapter. I'll give you some of the context in a minute, but I just want you to look at two verses, verse 17 and verse 18 in 2 Corinthians 3. A guy named Paul's writing this. Paul's a missionary that's traveled all over the, uh, the Mediterranean rim. And he says this, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, I realize, I recognize if you're reading that for the first time, you might go, ah, I don't really get it. So let's just break it down. First thing he says is this. He says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And what that means is this. When Jesus is present, when Jesus is in your life, Jesus brings freedom. He brings freedom from sin. And some of, some of us might go, well, I don't, what, I don't even, okay, what does that mean? I'm not sure what whole, like, what am I, slave to sin? yes. On several levels, it might be something very easy for you to identify. You might wrestle with an addiction of some sort. It might be a, a substance. It might be something on the internet. Then you have this, this addiction. And, and, and if, you, if you struggle with an addiction, you know what slavery feels like. Because you've probably come multiple times and went, you know what, come to this, this, this sin and went, you know what, I want to quit. And you keep finding yourself back there because it's an addiction. Jesus brings freedom. Not always overnight, but he brings freedom. Sometimes it might be an attitude. Some of you guys have felt like this. You just wrestle maybe with being like rude or angry or, or, or something like that. And, and you lash out or you say things that you wish you had. And it's, it's not an addiction, but it almost is. It's like an addictive attitude. And you find yourself hurting people's feelings all the time. And, and, and at night, or if you were, uh, you lay down your head on your, on your pillow and you're like, God, I don't wanna be this way. But you can't figure out how to stop. Jesus brings freedom. So you have hurts, decisions you made in the past and you can't get away from them. And Jesus brings freedom to that slavery. It can even be just a little thing, like a lie. Let me show you how just one lie can cause slavery. Here's what happens. Your mom comes home and she says, did you do your homework? Something innocent. And you didn't, but you don't want to get in trouble. So you say, yes. At that moment, you become a slave. Because at that moment, you're no longer free to be totally honest for the rest of the day. Because now you have to remember that you cannot say anything else along the way through the course of that night or maybe the next couple of days that would betray the fact that you lied. So now you got to remember, as far as my story goes, I've done my homework, right? And so now everything you're saying may border on untruth because of this one untruth and you become a slave to that one lie. It affects everything else you do and everything else you say. And Jesus brings freedom to that. But here's a, here's a cool thing. Jesus doesn't just bring freedom to slavery. He brings freedom to religion. Jesus brings freedom to religion. I mean, a lot of religions, even some people who claim Christianity is a religion, they, they are caught up in religion of this, this rules, this list of, of do's and don'ts. And, and here's what I have to do for God to love me. And I've already told you this, you don't have to do anything. God loves you the way you are. But they have this like idea in their mind that I've got to follow the rules of this religion in order for God to love me. And that causes slavery. And Paul says, listen, where the spirit of God is, where Jesus is, there's freedom. 
You don't, you don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to an addiction or an attitude or a hurt. You don't have to be a slave to the rules, the list of do's and don'ts. All of a sudden, it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. And let me, let me illustrate that for you. There's a guy that was telling a story. Um, and he was going grocery shopping. And one of the things he had to do at the grocery store, he had to get potato chips. And as he walks down the potato chip chip aisle, there's all kinds of, you know, there's Cheetos, Fritos, there's all kinds of things. Well, there's this one brand, and he's telling the story, I've never heard of it, it's not, I don't think they're in Texas. I got a picture of it, so it's real. They're called Mike Sells. That's the brand of the chip. And he goes immediately over to the chips, passes by everything else, and he grabs the Mike Sells and, and he puts them in. Not because he loves Mike Sells. I don't know what his favorite chip is, but he's telling the story. He says, that's, I didn't get it because it's my favorite chip. Here's why I got it. Because one of his closest friends in the, in the world is a salesman for Mike Sells chips. He doesn't get them because he has to. His, his buddy doesn't make him do it. He, he's free to get any chips he wants, but because he has this relationship with this guy, because he's a friend of this guy, he says, you know what? This guy works for this company and I wanna bless him because I love him. And so I eat these chips because this guy sells chips. And he tells a story as he's getting the chips and he's putting them in his basket, a guy behind him goes, way to go. And he turns around and it happens to be his friend standing in the grocery store with him. And he says, could you imagine what would happen if I had like ruffles, you know, like with my... I, I could have gotten ruffles. It's totally free to do that. But I don't want to because I love my friend. And I want to support his business. I want him to be a success. That's what freedom in Jesus is. I don't go to church because I have to. I'm not faithful to my wife because I have to be. I mean, she'll tell you I have to be and I'm, I'm somewhat scared of her. But I mean, I don't, I don't, pay my taxes, out of, I pay them because I love Jesus and Jesus wants me to be a good citizen of my country. He wants me to be a good husband. He wants me to be a part of the community. And so I do those things that used to be rules, not because I have to, because I just want to, because I love Jesus. That, does that make sense? It's about relationship, not rules. And Jesus says, Paul says, Jesus comes to bring freedom to sin, to religion. Look what he says next. And this is where it might get a little confusing. I'll give you some history here. Verse 18. And he says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. Stop there for a second. I know it's in the middle of a sentence. He says, We have unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. If you go home tonight and you read a few verses up in 2 Corinthians 3, you're going to see Paul talks about this veil. Don't have a lot of time. I'm not going to give you an Old Testament history. Just I, I, You need to understand this so it makes sense. Old Testament, there's a guy named Moses. Moses is the guy that gets the 10 commandments. You're probably familiar with those stone tablets, one through 10. God says, here's some really important rules. Moses delivers to the Israelites. Well, when Moses goes up on this mountain to meet with God and he gets these commandments, when he comes down, the book of Exodus says that his face was literally glowing. Now, I've never experienced that. I've never seen that. That's freakishly weird to me, but that's what, that he comes down because he's been in the presence of God. His face is glowing and people are like, Whoa, man, we thought that car with the expandable foam was crazy, but this is crazy. Like it's, it's like a lamp. And what we find out as we read that passage of scripture is when, when Moses got done talking with the people, he took a veil and he put it over his face. And the scripture says he put it over his face because basically he was ashamed, he was embarrassed because the glow was starting to fade. You see what happened? He came down off the mountain having been in the presence of God the Spirit of God. 
and he's glowing, but the longer he's away from the presence of God, the glow begins to fade. And Moses is like, I don't, I don't want that to happen. And I'm ashamed of it. And what Paul says here in verse 17, he says, and we all, every one of us, not just Moses, if, if, if Jesus is in your life, <coughs> if the spirit of the Lord is present, with unfe- unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. <coughs> we don't have to go to a mountain. We don't have to go to church. The spirit of the God, when, when, when he's present, we can spend time in his presence and have the eternal glow. I mean, we can have the presence of God, the freedom, and all of the benefits that come with that all the time. But then look at what happens. Last thing. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. What he's saying is when we're in the presence of God, verse, middle half of verse 18, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When you're in the presence of God, when you have a relationship with Jesus, he transforms you. And we said you're transforming all the time. He transforms you into his image. Now, how many of you guys, anybody have um, like grandparents, some that live on a farm, have chickens, or maybe you have chickens, anybody? Okay, so you've got chickens. You can imagine the hen house and the chicken sits on a thing and the chicken lays an egg. This, this does not happen. The egg doesn't drop and everybody gather around as the, as the egg's about to hatch and everybody in your family's gathered around going, I wonder what it's gonna be. Ah, it's another chicken. It's like the fifth time in a row that the egg's been, I mean, no one does that because, because the, the created looks like the image of the creator. One day when you have kids, if you give birth to something that doesn't look like a human, run as fast as you can out of the doctor's office because that's a science fiction horror movie. I mean, you, the created looks like the creator. Again, bring my kids in here. Bring the eight-year-old up. God bless her. She looks like an eight-year-old girl version of me. I feel sorry for her, you know, but I mean, she, because the created looks like the creator. And here's what Paul says. He says, when you're in the presence of God and his freedom is pouring over you and he's, he's, you're active with him, you're being transformed into his image. You start to look like, not physically, you start to look spiritually like Jesus. Loving people, compassionate, forgiving, grace-filled. And God says this, I love you the way you are, but I love you too much not to move you to look more like Jesus. Let me give you three things real quick. Three things that you can do to aid up this or to speed up this process of transformation so that you're transforming towards the image of what God looks like and the image of what he's called you to be rather than the other direction. And here's the first thing. Start looking for what God is doing in and around you. Start looking for what God is doing in your life and around you. And let me, let me I'll even give you a real hands-on in a second, but if you've ever been with us and if you go to like Collide Camp during the summer, if you go on a mission trip, you, you know, we, we gather around at night and sometimes there'll be a big group and, and we talk about what is God saying to you? What's he showing you? And we, we reflect back on our day, what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've witnessed. And it gives us the time to kind of process, man, what is, what is God saying to me? That's a healthy thing. So here's what this looks like. When we're talking about start looking for what God is doing in and around you. Most of the time, you're so busy, you can't see the forest for the trees. I mean, let's be honest. 
You're not going to class tomorrow, walking from second period to third period, thinking, God, what are you doing right now? God, show me something. What are you trying to teach? Because you're, you're, you're thinking of other things. It would be great if you could get to that point. But how about tonight? And how about tomorrow night and the next night and every night when you lay down to go to bed? Take a few minutes before you go to sleep, as you drift off to sleep, to reflect back on your day. Have your own personal share time to go, God, what did you do? To, what did I miss? God, what were you trying to say to me? God, what, what happened that I just overlooked? And as you begin to do that, you're, here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be freaky. God is going to start bringing things to your mind. You're gonna be like, oh yeah. And as you get into the habit of that, you're gonna start seeing some things and you're gonna start seeing God go, hey, I'm doing this in your life. I'm trying to get you to move from here to there. And all of a sudden, because you're listening, because you're watching, you'll see it. Quick story, another quick story. Not even in my notes. I was in Brazil several years ago. And, and we're going, we've got uh, our group there. And we actually, the people that were with us were both uh, two Brazilian police officers. And in Brazil, that's like military. The police are military. And so we got guys, they're like, you know, they can like kill people with their fingers and things like that. And we're walking. And one of them says to me, one of the guys, Telmo comes up and he says, hey, gather everybody together. Tell the girls to hold on the purse and stay close. And I'm like, oh, what? You know, like, we're gonna fight some Brazilians right now. You know, I've been watching like UFC and Brazilians are tough, so I wouldn't fight them. But he says, these guys over here, they're, they're bad news. I'm looking, I would have walked right past those guys. I would have never seen, but the police officer was, because he's in charge of us, he was purposefully looking for things. And when he was purposefully looking, he saw. I was, again, couldn't see the forest or the trees. I would have never noticed. You see what I'm saying? So you reflect back at night and you go, God, what is it that you're saying to me? Here's the second thing. Second thing is this, start making application out of spiritual moments. If you don't have a devotional time, and what I mean by that is some time where, where you open up your Bible each, each morning or each night and, and read some, and I would suggest getting a guide to help you, whether it's you version on the phone, that's an app, or a devotional book, or, or have a friend help you find something to help you make sense of the Bible. If you're not doing that, you need to do that. That's application step one for you. But if you are doing that, what you do is you open up your Bible and you read it, and maybe you read the devotional and it kind of makes it make sense. But before you close up, you ask this question. <coughs> God, what do you want me to do? God, what does this mean? Why, why this verse? God, what, what is it that you're, did you give me this for? And sometimes, lots of times, you may not hear God speak. But there's going to be times where you open it up and you read it. And God's spirit is going to speak clearly. And when he does, you go do. You make application out of those moments. If you're in here, I give you some of those applications. I give you some things to try to do. I went to a conference not too long ago called Catalyst. It's a leadership conference. And I've got my leadership track and I'm taking, I mean, I'm writing tons of notes. And, and there's things along the way that I star because man, I, go, I gotta come back. That's, that is for me. I've got to do that. And so I come back after that conference. I've written all these things. And I look back and I reflect and go, it's not just reflecting on my day. I'm looking back going, how do I apply what I've learned? Start reflecting on your day. Start getting application out of spiritual moments. Here's, here's the third thing. And this doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but it applies to some of you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where it starts. You start, enter into a relationship with Jesus. It means, it means coming to a point in your life where you realize, you know what, I've got sin. I've got broken pieces in my life that I keep trying to fix and they won't be fixed. I can't fix them. 
It's coming to this point where you go, Jesus, come and be boss and forgive me of my sin. Because here's the thing. You can go home and start practicing trying to be transformed and reading your Bible. But if you start doing that and you start going, God, what's the next step for me? God, how do you transform me? God, how do you make my life better? If you're not following Jesus, here's what he's gonna say first and every time. Relationship with me. Because it's not about religion, where he says it's not about the rules. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about a relationship with Jesus. In a minute, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. If you're in here and that's something you go, man, I need that. Um, we'll t- talk about that briefly. And pray. I wanna tell you one last story though. Really quickly, two guys, both theology professors. That means they taught at schools and they, theology is the study of God. So they like know more about the Bible and more about God than all of us in this room combined. And these two professors uh, work at the same school in Michigan and they ride bikes together regularly. And they're, they're out riding bikes and they're just talking about faith and theology. And one of the professors said something to the guy that uh, was telling the story. And I wrote the quote down. I didn't put it on screen. Uh, Roy, so you just have to listen hard. Guy, doctorate in theology says this to his other buddy. He says, all I really want in life, all I really want in life is for the word of God to take up residence in my life and form me into Christ-likeness. All I want in life is for the word of God to penetrate and change me. Guys, that's what God's doing. He's trying to, because he loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to make your life abundant, full. He wants to make your character look like Jesus. We're gonna pray, we're gonna sing, and then we're gonna come up and do some fun if we have some time. I'll just tell you what we're gonna do now. If you were here several months ago, we're bringing back the lie detector test. So it's gonna be fun. If you didn't see it, you're gonna love it. Before we do all that, I, I wanna ask you this. I wanna ask you for a second, just to bow your head. Shh. Bow your head for a second. Now, here would be my question. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you want to, there's no pressure. There's no, nobody's gonna stand at the doors waiting. I mean, this is between you and God. But if you go, man, I need Jesus in my life. I need forgiveness. I need freedom from whatever it is. Maybe tonight's the night you get it. Or maybe tonight's the night you begin the process of moving towards freedom, transformation, from slave to free, from child of the world to child of God, to not knowing your purpose in life, to discovering it fully. Hear me when I say this, deciding to follow Jesus doesn't gonna make all those things happen as soon as you say amen, but it begins the journey. And I'm gonna be very honest with you. Following Jesus is difficult. So often people talk about following Jesus and we kind of paint this picture that if you just choose to accept Jesus, when you wake up in the morning, there's gonna be a rainbow outside of your house. Butterflies, no caterpillars, birds chirping. The man or one of your dreams is gonna show up. It doesn't always happen that way. But no matter what happens, the God of the universe comes into your life and begins to change you. And the end game, when it's all said and done, it's an eternity in heaven. And it's way better than the alternative. I'm not, I don't want to sugarcoat anything for you. I'm going to tell you, following Jesus is hard. 
following Je- I, I've been following Jesus since I was seven years old. And I'm 39, so you can do the math. And it's still hard. Because there's things that happen in my life that it would be so much easier to do them my way. Conflict with people. And Jesus goes, you've got to forgive. And I go, God, I don't want to forgive. It wasn't even my fault. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to forgive and you've got to be the first person to, to step out. No one likes that. I'm 39. I've been following Jesus. I, I still haven't gotten to the point where I'm like, sounds like fun. Sounds terrible. Jesus calls me to do hard things. But it's worth it because he's been transforming my life for 32 years and I wouldn't have it any other way. If you want that, a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray this. I want you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I made mistakes. And I want freedom. I want your spirit, the spirit of the Lord in my life. I want you to change me. Forgive me. All you say is, Jesus, I believe you're God. And I believe that the power that raised you from the dead is the power that's going to change my life. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do this. And it's hard. And I know some people probably prayed that prayer and you may not walk down because you're embarrassed or something like that. And that's between you and God. But we want to help you in the journey. We want to hook you up with one of our adults or older high school or maybe even a friend of yours if they're walking with Jesus to walk through this thing called the journey that will help you get your feet under this decision, to spend some time figuring out what it means. And to do that, we need to know you made that decision. So I just, I have one of the worship guides for tonight. Nothing fancy, you got one in your seat. Just come up and I'll bring a pen up. I don't even have one up here. I'll bring one up and call and start singing. Just put your name in the best way to contact you cell phone or wherever and we'll follow up with you this week about what's next and help you get cooked up with somebody that can help you start this growth process pray for everybody else real quick go ahead and stand we're going to sing as soon as I'm done God thank you for tonight for calling leading us in worship for the conclusion of this series God what we pray God we pray this a lot that we'd walk out of here different than we walked in we'd walk out transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.